0: Welcome to She Wrote That. Here, our goal is to uplift hardworking female writers, bloggers, authors, journalists, and storytellers. Each episode features a conversation with a different female writer, where we dig deep about everything writing related, from being a woman in the industry, to developing stories, to editing style, to mentorship. Thank you for joining me for episode 11 of She Wrote That. I'm your host, Charlotte Barnes. I am so excited to be back this week with another amazing guest. Joining me today is author Sarah R. Bauman. While Sarah has written essays, blog posts, and articles, her most recent adventure is writing middle grade fiction. She's the author of The Light in the Lake, published in 2019, and The Wild Path, published in 2020, and both published by Little Brown Books for Young Readers. A former middle and high school English teacher now working as a curriculum developer, Sarah graduated from Grinnell College and the University of Michigan, where she studied English, German, and education. She lives with her husband and children in Northern Michigan. We discussed everything from how her experiences teaching impacted her middle grade fiction books, to why the environment played such a large role in The Light in the Lake, to one of her favorite writing exercises that she used as a teacher. Stay tuned to hear our discussion. Studied English in college, and then you went on to teach middle and high school English. So it's obvious you're pretty passionate about literature and writing. (laughs) What do you think sparked your love of writing and reading?
1: That is a great question. And I would definitely say it started at a young age, probably before my memories even kick in. I think my parents read to me a lot when I was a baby. And although I don't remember those early sessions, I know that they had an impact because by the time I was six years old, I was already writing stories and reading really voraciously. So I thank my parents for that early exposure that really helped me to fall in love with the written word. Yeah,
0: yeah, I think a lot of people find that love of writing at a young age, and that's so cool. I mean, I know I did. And it's really nice when you have parents who really care about sparking that passion in you. It
1: really helps a lot. And I, I'm not really sure why I made that leap to writing. It was just an instinct that I had, even as a child, just recording my thoughts. In fact, I often felt more comfortable or more articulate if I was able to write something down than speak it. And I remember even writing my parents' notes when I wanted to tell them something. Um, I've just always been drawn (laughs) to that form of expression.
0: That is so cool. And jumping a little bit forward, um, like I said, you're a teacher. And I was wondering if there are any major concepts or pieces of literature that you've taught in your classes that have helped you a lot as a writer?
1: That's an excellent question. And I should also um, clarify that I taught for a long time, but I, I now mm-hmm. work in curriculum development for an educational nonprofit. So I'm not currently in the classroom, but I taught for over 12 years, like you said, middle and high school English. And mm-hmm. actually, there was a type of assignment that, it, that I did with students that made me think about... My own writing and developing my own writing in in different ways, and it was an assignment that we actually started when I was teaching um, a John Steinbeck novel, Cannery Row. But this could be done with any piece of literature. I've done it with other ones since. Um, I would take a passage from the text and use it as. A model text which a lot of teachers will um, like that idea of an exemplar and I would actually remove parts of the writer's words and leave just the bones of the sentence in place there's a particular part in that text where he's describing scenery and I urge students to think of a particular place that they could picture vividly in their mind and to use the structure of Steinbeck's paragraph and his sentences to create their own piece of writing. And I called it imitation as inspiration. So um, it allowed students just to kind of step into a writer's style and try that out and see how it felt. Um, And it made me think about how my own writing has developed and continues to develop as a result of the reading that I've done. Not that I actually do that exercise when I'm writing, but reading so much has really shaped, I think, the different styles and genres and um, even sentence-level developments that I've um experimented with. I just think that the more you read others work, the more adventurous you can become in your own writing. I think a lot of writers, when they're asked to give advice to striving writers, a lot of them will say to read and to just read a lot, to read widely both within and outside their genre. And doing that particular assignment with students Um, gave me a window into just how much using other works as models, sources of inspiration can help um, build and, I guess, strengthen your own individual style. Because I really enjoyed seeing what students came up with in those assignments, the creative ways that they described their own favorite places. Um, and it was, I think, you know, using the constraints of that writer's sentences gave them a certain freedom, ironically, to express themselves in ways that they might not have if they hadn't been using that text as a model. So I hope that, I know that's a roundabout answer, but but it immediately jumped into my mind. Um, you know, obviously I constantly taught students about and, and such in their published writing. But this was a case where we really stripped away everything from the sentence except for the structure of it and really just tried to encourage students to play with language in, the, in a similar way that the writer had done. And that kind of helped them strengthen some creative muscles, I think, that, that they might not have otherwise tapped into.
0: Yes, for sure. Yeah, I'm definitely a big proponent of reading. Um, And of course, John Steinbeck is a really good place to start, especially with that exercise. Right. And so as a writer, you've written blog posts, articles, essays, and books. Do you think you have a favorite type of writing?
1: Another great question. I think I've had different favorite types of writing at different points in my life, and I still love different kinds of writing for different reasons. I would say that my current favorite is middle grade fiction. I've really started to enjoy writing in that form, but there are other forms of writing that helped bring me to that point, particularly poetry. I would say that, um, If I kind of split up the eras of my life, when I was in elementary school, I loved writing short stories. When I was in high school and college, I loved writing poetry. In my mid-20s to mid-30s, I was interested in creative nonfiction. And then, really in in my mid to late 30s, I discovered middle grade book length fiction and that's where I've landed but I find I incorporate elements of the other genres into that Um, so poetry really gave me this sense of how to use language in fresh imaginative and also concise ways so even though now I write book length texts I still try to draw on that Kind of brevity that poetry forces you to engage with um, and really try to make every word count. I also draw on my sense of surprise I think in poetic language thinking about how words can be used to describe um, setting in particular or characters in interesting ways, like using language maybe in unconventional or um, unexpected ways to, to describe. That's something that I think poetry really gave me. And then creative nonfiction really taught me how personal experiences can be elevated to the level of craft and... Although my middle grade books aren't autobiographical, they do definitely borrow from my experiences. And I think writing creative nonfiction helped me to see how that could work. And short stories, when I was writing those even as a child, really gave me a sense for a narrative arc and kind of the elements of fiction um, from an early age. So in a way I could say I spent 30 plus years preparing to write the genre that ended up being my favorite, but that's not how it started. In fact, I knew even when I was little that I would love to write a book one day, but I didn't know what I would write about. And even as an adult, I was thinking, I I know I, I have this in me somehow, but I just, I'm not sure what the book would be about. And then all of that changed when I got my first idea for what ended up being the light in the lake. So (laughs) Mm -hmm. it was a long journey, but a fun one. I'm sure. Yeah, that
0: I really liked how you answered that and conveyed how everything contributed to the final product of middle grade fiction, or well, your current favorite right now. Right, right. And going back, (laughs) going back to what you were saying about that developing later on in your life do you think teaching middle school might have prompted you to look into that form of writing
1: I do actually I misspoke a bit when I said that my early idea was the book that became the light in the lake there was actually a book idea before that um, and I, I wrote a book before the light in the lake that did not get published But that idea was directly rooted in some experiences I had teaching. So my husband and I, our our early teaching careers together, he's also an educator, were in international schools overseas. So we taught in China and Bolivia and Germany. And I really love the students in all those places and an interesting phenomenon about international schools is that students from all over the world come to these schools. They're in um, the country for various different reasons, usually related to their parents' work. And so they come to school with so many different native languages and backgrounds, and English is the common language of instruction. Um, And... Students in this situation, there's actually a a word for or a term for young people who grow up in a country or multiple countries that are not their parents' home country, and that's third culture kid. And this was a really interesting term to me because there really was this like third culture that develops among among students who are living in a in a place and learning a language that isn't really the root, rooted in either of their parents' heritages. And I felt like I didn't really see that experience reflected in middle grade literature. Like I was struggling to think of a book that featured a main character who attended an international school, who was growing up in a in a country that um, and you know speaking a language that that wasn't uh, rooted in either of their parents' native cultures or languages, so I had this idea for a story that would feature a young person who was in that situation. And so certainly my teaching experiences directly influenced my early writing um for that genre and even the light in the lake which was my technically my second book although the first one that i published i drew directly on the setting where i was living in vermont at the time and i was teaching there and i i certainly was thinking about my students and their experiences as i wrote um so I think you know, it's hard to imagine without teaching what my writing would have been like because I, I wrote before I taught, but nevertheless teaching really shaped the stories that I thought of. So it's a great question, and, and I think there are probably ways teaching influenced my writing that I can't even articulate, but those were a couple of the ways at least.
0: That is so fascinating. I'd never heard of the term third culture kid before. So that Mm -hmm. that sounds like a really interesting idea in bringing light
1: to those experiences. Oh, well, um, I should have also mentioned that although this wasn't my exact experience growing up, I did actually move as a seventh grader to Germany for a period of time while my, because of my father's job. And it was only for four months, but it was a really formative, important experience for me. I attended a public school in Germany and was Mm -hmm. in a special class for kids who didn't speak German. And, um, we all came from different countries, and our only common language was German, and so we all kind of had to learn it if we wanted to communicate. And, and so even though I couldn't say that my childhood was defined by this third-culture kid-type experience, I, I could relate to it on some level, and it really um, gave me an additional level of empathy for for the students that I encountered and eventually tried to write about and for. For sure, that definitely sounds like it contributed
0: to that. Mm -hmm. And your experience teaching influenced what you wrote, but specifically writing for that audience, obviously you weren't in middle school when you wrote the books. Did mm-hmm. teaching kids that age help you know what to write?
1: It's a great question. And I'm thinking about how to answer it because there are so many different kinds of readers out there, obviously. Like there there's a book for every reader but not every reader will love every book and that's okay. Um, to be honest, I think that I'm probably tapping into my own inner middle schooler when I write, but I'm also drawing on terminology and interests and what I know of kids now as well. Um, my son is in middle school now. He's in sixth grade. And so... I'm listening to him and paying attention to him too, even though I'm not in the classroom anymore. <laughs> I think mostly when I write there's there's something that's that's reaching back pretty far in my own experience in writing books that that would have appealed to me. But I I'm also trying to absorb as much as I can of of middle school life today and and also, just trying to imagine what it's like to be a middle schooler in this particular era. I think, um, you know, my books tend to touch on on really important issues that are current and um, that kids today are are having to confront. Everything from environmental pollution in the Light in the Lake to um, addiction or anxiety in the Wild Path. And and so I am definitely trying to be relevant as well to, to what kids are facing today, not only thinking about what my own middle school experience was like a long time ago.
0: Yeah, yeah, that definitely makes sense. And I can definitely see that with how you center the environment and the light in the lake. So tell me a bit about what, inspired you to center that book around the environment and talk about
1: pollution it's a good question and there are a few different answers so so I'll give you a few Um, I have a really deep love for both um the natural environment and for for farming, my parents were, uh, my grandparents were dairy farmers, and my parents um, took me to spend a lot of time on their farm growing up. Uh, it really shaped my childhood. And yet I also did some work, some conservation work in college, um, specifically on prairies, and um, was exposed to some of the tensions that can happen Uh, between the environment as it is and then human impact on the environment. Mm -hmm. So that kind of tension has always fascinated me because I really appreciate both the human desire to be part of and to interact with and even to impact the natural world, but I also have an appreciation for leaving the natural world alone. So that space where the two kind of clash is one that I've occupied mentally quite a bit. (laughs) And so it so happened that in Vermont, around the time that I got the idea for this story, the news was kind of full of some issues surrounding uh, particularly water pollution, um, which I was already sensitive to, having grown up in Michigan, the Great Lakes State, where, where water is really um, at the forefront of, of our minds. And mm-hmm. specifically in Vermont, some regulations were being altered, um, especially for for small farmers, Uh, in order to avoid, to to mitigate um, negative uh, effects on the waterways in, in Vermont. So I had some friends who were farmers who were worried about how these regulations would impact them, but who were also worried about preserving their natural resources, and I was reading a lot about it in the news, and I was thinking about my grandparents, and um, and all of that kind of conspired, I think, in my mind to, mm-hmm. to generate this, this story idea that, that really, for, you know, in which a character really is forced to deal with some of the difficult questions that emerge when you try to strike that balance between ecological responsibility and human impact. And so definitely was rooted in individual experiences, not only at the time that I was writing, but also childhood experiences. And, um, I, I hoped that that writing about that would both honor, you know, would honor both sides of the story, so to speak, and also show that, there aren't always totally opposing sides. There are just multiple uh, groups kind of trying to work together for solutions. So, so there were a few different routes for that story, <laughs> for, for that <laughs> angle of the story.
0: Yeah, that's such an interesting combination of ideas and then paired with wanting to write about what middle schoolers are going through today.
1: Right, yeah, it's... um. There, there are definitely, it's a tangled web, I'll put it that way, but but definitely fun <laughs> to work those different threads through. Mm-hmm.
0: So speaking a little more about The Light in the Lake, tell me about what going through the writing and editing process was like, especially considering it was your first middle grade book.
1: Yeah, that's, that's a great question. Um, so prior there there are kind of two two answers to this as well because there was the writing and editing process prior to me finding a literary agent and eventually then also Mm -hmm. selling the book and then there was the writing and editing process after all of that so before actually submitting the light and the late to literary agents um I don't remember how many drafts I did. I I remember that in the beginning I had a calendar and I decided that I would write a certain number of words per day so that I could finish the draft. And I stuck to it pretty religiously. Um, Of course, I was teaching at the time, so I think I let some other things go, probably like exercise and sleep (laughs) inevitably. But I really wanted to get that (laughs) draft done. Because I felt like once I had finished the draft, I could really say that that something was going to happen with the book. Um, <laughs> some, at least, you know, something. Whether it was publication or just a sense of accomplishment that that I'd finished it. Um, so, so I stuck to that schedule, and I I was fortunate um, where I lived in Vermont to live not too far from a. Uh, writing retreat specifically geared towards middle grade and YA writers. Um, it was a novel retreat at the Vermont College of Fine Arts, and it w- took place over a long weekend, which was perfect for teaching um, because I didn't have to take too much mm-hmm. time off. I could just take a day or so. And and I, I went to that retreat, and I got some terrific feedback on the draft from critique partners. And I connected with another wonderful um, critique partner named Nicole. Um, She's a terrific middle grade writer who I actually met through someone's blog who was working to connect uh, middle grade and YA writers with critique partners. And Nicole and I found each other. And so we shared a lot of our writing with one another. So I, I knew that I had to get feedback from a lot of people, and I mm-hmm. I did that in a couple ways. So the retreat was one way, the critique partner um, was another, and then I also had a good friend and neighbor, um, Howard Mosher, who's a Vermont novelist who's since passed away, but he also read my book and gave me feedback, and which I just treasured. And so... It took probably, it took me close to a year before I felt like the book was in good enough shape to query to literary agents. Because I had already queried some agents for my my unpublished book, um, the one that I mentioned earlier, I had a list of, of agents that I thought I might be able to try again. And I remember there was an agent who was also offering free critiques if we queried within a certain period of time. So um, I kind of tested the waters that way, and that agent ended up requesting a full manuscript. So I thought, okay, I think I'm on the right track, and I, I queried some more agents and eventually signed with the wonderful Katie Grimm, who's my amazing literary agent. And Katie and I did about six months of revision after signing. So I had already revised the book several times, but um, in Katie's very capable hands, I continued revising. And um, after about six months, she felt it was ready to submit to editors. And... um that was an exciting kind of nail-biting process. But after the book sold to Little Brown, my wonderful editor, Lisa Yaskowitz um, took me through more revision. And I wish I had the timeline right in front of me. Um, it was several more months of revision, though. Several more editorial mm-hmm. letters uh, with terrific advice. I actually love to share this information with students when I go visit schools because I think it's easy to see the finished book on the shelf and not really understand just how much change and and back to the drawing board has gone into that book. Um, writers definitely don't just sit down and have something perfect pour through their fingers. Um, My first editorial letter that I got from Lisa was, I think, like nine single-space pages long, full of wonderful suggestions, all of which I took. Um, But I I bring it to show students, because I say, remember, when I got this editorial letter, I'd already spent a really long time revising the book. But the key with writing is you've got to know you're going to have to change it, and you just have to be really open. To that great feedback from from readers and from editors and and um, be willing to break it all apart and then put it back together and know that it will be better mm-hmm. for it so i hope that helped it- mm-hmm. question. <laughs>
0: definitely yeah i'm not good at math so how long was that process in
1: full? Oh, I know. That's such a... Oh, I really <laughs> wish that I had it pulled up for you. I really should have had it um, right there. And I know I've told it to students. Let's see. Um, it was probably... It was, it was probably close to two years from, like, the moment that the idea struck till... The moment it was ready to be published. But I can tell you for The Wild Path, that whole process changed dramatically because that book was part of my initial sale. So it was a two-book deal. And at the time that I sold The Light in the Lake, I had the idea for The Wild Path and I had um, Mm -hmm. written the first few chapters. But... I had to write that book on deadline, and that was a really different experience. And it was challenging for sure um, because that book was scheduled to publish one year after The Light in the Lake. So basically, I really had to finish that one completely in a year. And my first chapters ended up changing completely. Like that story changed quite a bit from its initial iteration. In fact, when I finished the first draft of The Wild Path, as soon as I finished it, like almost as soon as I typed the end, I had this realization. And it was sort of like, you know, this feeling in the pit of my stomach that I realized having written that whole draft that I had basically written the backstory for the story that I wanted to tell. And I realized that I was going to have to go back and rewrite almost all of it, which I did. But all of this was happening in a much more like high pressure situation because, um, I had deadlines that, that were pretty strict. So I think, you know, from that experience, I really learned, though, how it always takes what it takes with writing. There's no sense in regretting um, any particular iteration, any particular draft, because it's all leading somewhere. Like, there would have been no way for me to know what I was supposed to write until I had written what I wasn't supposed to write. So... Even though that editing and revision process can feel frustrating when you're in it, it's also so important. Um, Every piece kind of plays its role.
0: Yes, for sure. Yeah, when when I saw that the books were published within a year of each other, I was like, oh my gosh, that is a lot of writing in a short span of time.
1: It was, yes. Um, and you know, I'm so grateful for that experience, but yes, it was certainly um, it was challenging and and a really good learning experience.
0: Yes, yes, I am sure. So I have a few questions that I ask everyone who comes on Shiva at that,
1: of course.
0: So the first one is if you could go back in time to when you first began writing, what advice would you give yourself?
1: That's a great question. Mm-hmm. Um, honestly, I would say don't stop. Um, because there have been moments when I have But I think I would just encourage myself. I would say it's all leading somewhere. So don't stop writing or reading. Just keep going. I don't have any regrets in my writing journey. I guess I would just give myself the reassurance that it was all leading somewhere.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Um, What advice do you have for other female writers in particular?
1: that's another great question Um, I you know I I guess I have some different some pieces of advice that I would direct to women who are trying to balance um, like the obligations of, of you know parenting with writing and working because I know that can be particularly challenging, um, which is, Mm -hmm. and, and that doesn't apply to all women and doesn't need to, but that was the situation I was in when I first got really serious about writing middle grade novels. And, um, the advice there would be to carve out the time and, and it feels impossible sometimes, um, to do that. But, but beg, borrow, and steal for that time because, because you deserve it and um, and you need it. So, you know, in my case, I was fortunate that, you know, I could work it out for my my husband and uh, parents to sometimes watch kids for me. I could, you know, take a day off work to go to a workshop if, you know, I could plan it. Um, I mm-hmm. f- tossed aside some other things that I liked to do so that I could make sure that I got that writing in. Um, it it It's just so important to make sure that that you make that space for yourself. And I think all women, regardless of their living situation can probably relate to that sense of being pulled in lots of different directions. So Mm -hmm. I would encourage women who feel that pull, you know, regardless of where it comes from, to make sure that they don't lose sight of the ultimate goal and and to focus on some of the small steps that are necessary to get there. Like it can feel so overwhelming to think, oh, I want to write a book. Um, how am I going to do that? Starting with just being able to carve out like 20 minutes a day for yourself to write is one one way to start. And sometimes we don't feel like we can give ourselves that. And we have to get creative about how to. But But that's so important. Not pushing yourself aside and your your dreams aside forever is mm-hmm. is probably the the key i i think
0: for sure and that that advice feels more relevant than ever right now especially with Ugh. working from home and people being pulled in a million different directions
1: it does and i i have to say i haven't been following my own advice very well lately um since COVID and my, we recently moved to a new house and there, it just, it feels impossible. Um, it really does. So I know the feeling, but, but I can always tell when I, I, I it always feels wrong when I'm not carving out the time I can always, I I, I just always feel it like, like a stitch in my side or something. It just, I always feel more balanced and like I'm doing what I need to do if I, if I can get that time. And when I don't, it just feels like something's off. So listen to that, you know, that, that, that feeling that's telling you something needs to change and and you'll find a way to change it. But yeah, these are, these are particularly challenging times, and people are facing just unprecedented levels of, of difficulty. And I would say, too, actually, to be gentle with yourself in terms of of how obligated you feel to, like, write every day, for example. You might really just not be able to write every day. And don't beat yourself up about that. There's too much going on right now to, to to go down that guilty road. So I think just finding, deciding a reasonable amount of time that would make you feel feel like you were in balance and doing what you needed to do with your writing and then committing to that without feeling like you're overextending yourself too much because... We all need to have some gentleness for ourselves in this time.
0: Definitely. We all deserve a little bit of grace right now. Yes. And I know that you especially would know that there are so many having been a teacher, but what do you think is the most important skill that a writer can have?
1: Mm. The ability... To take feedback, honestly, um, I know that my my mentor that I mentioned, Howard Mosher, my my former neighbor, who very kindly read my writing, he told me that that people would sometimes come and and ask him for feedback. Then he might give a piece of feedback, and they'd they would say, oh, but I really need to have it this way because of X, Y, and Z. And, and so I think being willing to release this sense of ultimate control over your work is important. I mean, I know that there, my editor always presents suggestions to me so kindly. She always says, you know, this is your book. Like, I trust you to decide what's best for it. But on my end, I know how important it is for me to listen to her. And so I am willing to change just about anything because I know that in order to improve my writing, I need to be able to step away from it and listen to somebody else. And Mm -hmm. that willingness has never failed me. (laughs) I think... um, you know, I've I've learned I've I have over time also been able to learn about you know, get a sense for when my instincts are telling me not to do something, but it hardly ever happens. Usually there's a piece of gold in every bit of feedback I receive that I that I know that I need to use.
0: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I've said it before on this show, but a lot of times when you write something, it feels like it's a part of your soul. So being able to receive feedback and take edits is so important, and it's so hard to do it right. first. But that really is important to growing as a writer.
1: It really is, and I—I I mean, my strategy for that is actually to to just read feedback and then just sit with it for a few days before I actually try to implement changes, because it's totally natural to have feelings of defensiveness or not wanting to change something. I mean, that's very normal. I think it's a normal part of the process. Mm-hmm. Usually with a little bit of time, with just a little bit of distance between myself and the writing and the feedback, I can, I can see more clearly how and why it needs to be implemented.
0: Yeah, I think giving it that time is so important because a lot of times, I mean, this applies to anything really. If you see something that makes you angry, then you're going to be angry at first and you really just need to sit back and let things simmer before you make a decision.
1: Absolutely.
0: <laughs> and are there any books that you've read that have seriously changed how you approach writing or what, you, what topics you like to cover?
1: That's another great question. Um, Books that have changed how I approach writing. I love that. Um, Well, in terms of the craft of like the art of writing and the process of writing, I love Stephen King's On Writing. That book, it resonated so much with me and it was so reassuring i think to know that someone like stephen king also goes through the writing process and just the the emphasis on on persistence and just the kind of frank candid um acknowledgement of the messiness of it was really helpful for me to read um it just gave me this sense of solidarity i think um the cra- In terms of craft, like, I, I'm always benefiting from reading middle grade literature that is different from the kind that I write as well as similar to the kind I write. So, for example... Um, one of the comp titles for The Wild Path is The Line Tender. Um that's a beautiful heartbreaking book that interweaves science and, and tragedy and, and it's it's really lovely. And I, I learn a lot from reading that book and looking at the way that author um handles like difficult dialogue and, um, balancing science with story. And so, you know, I could, I can learn a lot about, um, how I want to write from a book like that. Uh, that was the line tender by Kate Allen. But then there are also authors I read, and I know that my books might not ever be quite like that, but I just, I love being exposed to that terrific writing. So, for example, um, I love Jason Reynolds' writing, and in particular I read Ghost and learned so much just about characterization and internal monologue and sports writing. I mean, even though I don't know if I'll ever be able to write in that way, it benefits me so much just to read a writer who's tackling different subjects in a different style. It gives me a sense of how I could potentially improve and some of the other dimensions I might need to think about as I'm approaching my own writing. It's a continual process for me. So, um, it's, it's harder for me to point to just one book, but just that compiled experience of reading a lot of different kinds of writers is very enriching for me.
0: Yes, I'm sure. There's just so much to read in so little time, and there's so much to gain through
1: reading. Oh, it's true. <laughs> and definitely way too little time.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and... I know it might be hard to choose, but do you have a favorite or a group of favorite stories that you've written?
1: Oh, that I've written? Oh. Yes. Yeah. Hmm. This is a good... Oh, it is kind of hard to choose. You know what? I'm going to get a little unconventional and say that what I'm currently working on is hopefully my new favorite. Because I always like to to look forward with, like, hope and promise. So, um... I'm working on a novel in verse, uh, and it's set in Michigan where I'm from and where I live now and interweave some of the, the themes of travel and, and, um, going to a new country and, and that, uh, concept of making home in a, in a different place while missing the one that you're from. So I'm going to call that my favorite for now. (laughs)
0: That is so cool. I've not heard the work that someone is writing on as their favorite. So that is really
1: cool. <laughs> I know. I think I think the reason I said that is because uh, here's a quirk about me. I actually have a really hard time going back and reading my books once they're published. And I think it's because <laughs> I can't change anything anymore. And that's okay because I worked so hard to get them to the to the point where they hopefully don't need to be changed. But it's also so hard to just know that it's over in a way. Mm -hmm. So it makes me want to look ahead. (laughs) And so it's easy for me to feel excited about what I'm currently working on.
0: That is so good, though, for, mm-hmm. for writing and for looking forward to the future.
1: Yes. <laughs> it might be a coping strategy, but it works for <laughs> me and helps me feel enthusiastic about the next thing, which is good.
0: Mm-hmm. And when people read your work, what do you hope their biggest takeaway is?
1: I hope that they have a sense of... So one thing that both the wild path and the light in the lake incorporate that I haven't talked much about is a sense of magic or potential magic, especially in nature. And I really hope that people Mm -hmm. can walk outside their doors and look at their surroundings, whatever those are, and feel that possibility of magic there. And... This is something that that I always try to cultivate in myself because I think it's easy to become really accustomed to our surroundings and not look at them in different ways. Um, but I I hope people can retain that sense of wonder um, when they step outside, and then also I hope that that my books help increase people's sympathy for. The complexity of different issues so we talked about the environmental issues the wild path also tackles addiction and some mental health issues and i hope that the stories give people that sense of of sympathy and empathy um, whether like if they're going through that situation any of those situations I hope that the stories resonate for them and if they aren't I hope that the stories give them a sense of solidarity and understanding for people who might be those are
0: two cool very takeaways to have
1: that's great thanks
0: well that's all (laughs) that's all I have but thank you so much for joining me tonight
1: Oh, well, thank you so much for having me. It's really an honor uh, to be part of this podcast. I really appreciate the mission of it and and admire what you're doing. Once again, a huge thank
0: you to Sarah for joining me this episode. To learn more about her and her work, you can head to sarahrbauman.com. To learn more about this podcast, you can find us at She Wrote That Pod on Twitter and at She Wrote That Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. And make sure to subscribe, follow, and give us a review wherever you get your podcast. Thank you
1: so much for listening. We'll see you next episode.